0: Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing today? Awesome. Hey, y'all are already talking back. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great Sunday morning in the house of God. Well, hey, listen, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, <clears throat> my name is Jace Hargrove, and me and my wife have served here on this team for the last four years, and it's just been such an honor uh, serving you guys. And as you all know, I am, at the beginning of the year, transitioning off of staff here to go to a new appointment that God is calling me to, And uh, today is my last sermon with you guys on staff, so I'm just so honored that I get today uh, the staff and the team, and everybody on the team here has given me the opportunity to bring God's Word to you today in our second installment of Four Told. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. Well, hey, since you got your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. We're going to read it together, we're going to pray, and we're going to dive right in. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news, the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, come to you this morning. We've just opened your word together. We've read it aloud. And Father, I pray that you would now just speak to every person specifically, give them a specific word to us as a whole body. Speak to us as, as your body. Uh, Father, you are the head, and now, Lord, we just ask that you would speak, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, last week, uh, my son Elias, he was sick, he had RSV, Uh, we had spent uh, one one night, we were in the ER, and then he finally got a little bit better, and last week, we was just kind of laying around, and he and I, we were laying in bed, and he loves Curious George, if y'all know what Curious George is. He says, if you hear him say, "Uh uh-uh, this boy wants to watch Curious George. Well, when he was sick, daddy watched a lot of Curious George, a lot of Curious George. And on one episode, um, they were at a Renaissance festival. George, who's a monkey, if you don't know what uh, Curious George is, George, which is a monkey, he was dressed up like a knight. Uh, He was riding a horse, which is a funny thing to see. The man in the yellow hat is what the guy, the guy don't even have a name that he lives with. He's just the guy in the yellow hat. Um, He was a jester trying to tell these funny jokes because jesters are jokesters, and the jokes he was telling weren't very funny, and everybody at the festival wasn't laughing at all. There was blacksmiths, there were cooks, there was every kind of person that you could think of at this Renaissance festival. People were all playing a specific role in a specific time period. Well, in one part of the episode, a herald came out to announce the arrival of the festival king, Everybody stopped what they were doing. The black st- uh, blacksmith stopped hammering on stuff. The cook stopped cooking. The jester stopped joking. Everybody stopped what they were doing when they heard that. Dun 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 dun. You guys, you know what I'm talking about. Everyone went towards that sound and they gathered around together. And this herald then came out on this stage, and he was making an announcement in a really loud voice. And it was an announcement that grabbed the attention of everybody at this festival, everybody's focus. It was an announcement that the festival king was making his grand entrance. That the people of this festival, the knights, the jesters, the blacksmith, just the people visiting there, all people of the kingdom needed to honor and recognize the arrival of the king. Now, why do I mention this? Because as I watched that episode and I laid in bed with my son watching this, I thought, wow, that's exactly what John the Baptist was doing when he was a voice out in the wilderness crying out. He was making an announcement to everyone who heard his voice that the king was coming and they needed to get ready. And when Mark called it the good news, we say that word a lot, the gospel, good news, some songs, they call it good tidings. That word that he used in that original Greek was the word called uh, euangelion. Euangelion in Roman traditions, that was a term used as an official announcement of the arrival of a new Caesar. Now, this was a specific phrase that was to announce the rise to power of a, of a new head of the Roman Empire. So these Romans during back then, they would, they would have this connotation that came with it. And in 9 BC, nine years before Christ, there was an inscription of Emperor Octavian that used this word Eungalian. And it says this in, in English translation, the birthday of the God of... Who, for the world, the beginning of, here's that word, you, you and Galen, good news has been proclaimed on every account. So, when the Romans back then, if they heard, hey, there's this guy named John, he's out here saying, you and Galien, get ready, good news, he's sharing these, these things. When he heard this, the Romans, what they heard is, hey, a historical event has occurred that a key figure has just been born, that a new person is about to be in charge. Now, everything is going to change, whether it's for the good or for the bad. That's what the Romans were thinking when they heard gospel or or good news. And I throw that into this beginning and this opening of our, our sermon today, because what Mark is doing is saying that John the Baptist is heralding the arrival of a new king. That he's out in the wilderness as if he's in the, the kingdom's palace commanding all the people to rise up and honor because the true king is approaching. That's the image that Mark is conveying here. That this prophetic word spoken long ago about Jesus coming and John preparing the way. All while Caesar Augustus, he's reigning supreme in Rome. He's surrounded by luxury. The Romans were, as I just read in that inscription, they were viewing Augustus as a god, but he was just a man. And quietly, Jesus enters the world in a small manger, in a small corner of the world, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Not conquering the world and beating people into submission, but by conquering sin and one day going to grow up and defeat the grave. That he came into this world as a gift from God to ransom the world and give us our eternal life. That's a king that's worthy of his name. That's good news. That's the gospel. That's that's you and Galien. And we're in this Christmas series as We look at the first chapter of each of the Gospels, and we're trying to tell you the Christmas story of Jesus. Now, typically when we think of the Christmas story of Jesus, our mind immediately goes to that manger. And we think of the little animals and the shepherds. We think of the wise men and the star of Bethlehem. We sing songs like, y'all got to help me out on this one. Hark the herald. Wait, wait, that's the wrong melody. What's the melody? Hark the herald, angel sings. See, we, we sing songs like that. That's immediately where our mind goes to. But as Pastor Mark kicked off this series last week, he kind of tipped our cards and showed y'all that none of the first chapters actually tell the, the traditional Christmas story of Jesus. And the book of Mark that we're in this morning is, is no different at all. Mark, he immediately goes not to the birth of Jesus, but immediately to the ministry of Jesus, we see that in the first chapter. That's why, that's why personally I like the book of Mark. He gets straight to the point. Does anybody in here like it when people are telling a story and they get straight to the point and they don't drag it on and on? Like, that, that's how I like it. Like, thanks for the genealogy, Matthew, but come on, let's get to the juicy stuff. That's what Mark does. First, he starts, he talks about John the Baptist. He quickly tells about Jesus getting baptized in the Jordan. Then, bam, he calls the disciples to go and follow him. He goes out there, and they're fishing. He says, hey, you guys come and follow me. And then after that, immediately, he's driving out a demon. He leaves there. He goes out, and he heals many more. He goes away secluded, and he prays. And then, bam, he's back to healing a man with leprosy. And all of that happens in chapter 1. He's just, bam, bam, bam. It's like the movie John Wick, but it's biblical. <laughs> and that, y'all were not ready. And that's why I'm calling this sermon, The Urgent Christmas. The Urgent Christmas. And as we go through our text today, you're going to see a sense of urgency in Mark's writings. You're going to see a sense of urgency in the message of John the Baptist. You're going to see a sense of urgency in Jesus and his, his ministry. Mark starts out saying in verse 1, uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I put the good news translation up there on the screen for you guys because I really like how it words it here. It says, this is the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which is a great, for a, a great place for us to start when we're talking about the Christmas story because the gospel The good news, it isn't just a story about the birth of a child. The good news is about the life and ministry of Jesus. And I can't help but wonder if those wise men, the shepherds, the the family members, I wonder if all those people ever got to witness the fulfillment of what Christ came to do on this earth or did they only get to experience the birth of him. They had had waited years for this prophecy from Isaiah and and the Old Testament to come true. They had waited years for the arrival of this new king that they thought was going to sit on the throne. But it was going to be another 30 years before the the Son of God actually grew into the ministry that He came here to fulfill. They had waited for the promise to come true and they saw the birth of the promise that would solve all their issues and bring reconciliation back to the people, but maybe they still missed out on the promise doing the very thing that would solve all their problems. Which makes me also wonder if many of us here in this room today. Maybe you've been waiting on some big thing or some big problem to be solved here on this life in this earth because you gave your life to Christ and you expect this Christmas gift called salvation to eliminate every issue that you have here while on this earth. But Jesus never promised that to us as Christians that we wouldn't have problems once we got saved. He never said that. On the contrary, in John 16, 33, he says, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation. Tribulation is just a fancy word for problems. You'll have problems, but he says, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You see, the good news can never be fully appreciated. If you don't first understand the bad. I love it when people say, Hey, I've got some good news and I got some bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? Give me the bad news first. Like, I don't want you giving me the good news and then sweep my feet out from underneath me and tell me the bad news. And and then I'm just not enjoying the good news anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, the bad news is this, church. The bad news is that we live in a sinful world. The bad news is that there's nothing that you or I can do to earn our way into heaven. The bad news is all of our efforts fall short to the glory of God. The the bad news is that we can't escape the brokenness in this world and in our life. But when we understand the depravity of our world, we can start to have more appreciation when we hear the gospel, when we hear a message, when we hear the good news of Jesus. Because the good news is that Christ has conquered tribulations. The good news is that sin is forgiven through Christ. The good news is that salvation is a gift. It is not an achievement. The good news is that Christ heals our brokenness. The good news that is that in Jesus Christ, we can have peace that surpasses all understanding. Church, giving your life to Christ and believing that Jesus died for your sins isn't a ticket to having no more problems here on this earth. Giving your life to Christ and believing that he died for your sins, it's going to solve your problem that you have with heaven. It's going to give you a peace in the middle of your problems here on this earth. It's going to give you perspective like I talked a couple of weeks ago the last time I preached. It's going to give you an appreciation of the good so that you'll go into the bad and share what is good. Listen, you have to learn to understand the bad so you can truly appreciate the good. And then when you do that, you go out there and you, you share the gospel, you share the good news, you tell as many people as you can about the gospel, you invite them to your small groups, you invite them to church on Sunday morning, you tell them, hey, you can come sit with me. You tell them, hey, you don't have to do life alone. We've got a community here where people are loving the Lord and seeking after him and trying to grow closer to him. And God wants all of these things for you and that's good news. And the promise of good news, it all began years ago in the Old Testament with a prophetic word. It was foretold by multiple prophets that there was coming a day when a new king would be born. And it began with what was prophesied long before, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. Prophets like Isaiah said this in chapter 7. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. And then Pastor Mark shared with us last week, Isaiah 9.6, For a child is born to us, a, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and, they, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. All those scriptures that we just read, those were the beginning of a prophetic word that foretold the coming of the Messiah who would be born of a virgin and he would one day become king of their hearts. And today we read what is the beginning of this mission and fulfillment of the prophecy that the king and and his name is Jesus. And we see the start of that ministry in verse two and three. It says, As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. You see what what Mark is doing right here is he's quoting Isaiah 40, and he's quoting Malachi chapter three, where it was prophesied that someone would come and prepare the way for the Messiah to come, who is John the Baptist. Now, when Mark is quoting this, what he's doing is he's highlighting the precision of this word that was spoken. He was uh, talking, highlighting the precision of God's plan, the precision of this prophetic word that everybody had grew up learning about. He was confirming that, hey, look, Y'all remember that guy that Isaiah said something about way, way long ago? Well, this crazy guy, John, that's over here in camel's hair and yelling out there in the wilderness. That's who Isaiah was talking about. And John the Baptist, he was blazing the trail for the coming Christ. Listen, this is a speaking of John the Baptist. I just got to say this really funny thing real quick because we got all kinds of backgrounds here and I got saved in the Baptist church. And this is funny. I've literally heard people say, well, I'm a Baptist because John was a Baptist Which I always reply, well, that word literally more means like John the Baptizer, but it's just funny because... It was John's mission to fulfill this prophecy by becoming the messenger ahead of Jesus who would go into the wilderness and baptize people in water for repentance. John's mission was not about drawing attention to himself. That was the furthest thing from what he was trying to declare to everybody. His mission was about preparing the way for the Lord. He prepared the way for the way so that people's hearts would be prepared for the mighty works that were going to be performed right in front of their very eyes he was a voice out there crying in the wilderness that, hey, they needed to get ready for what was about to come, what was about to happen. And the same thing is true for me, the same thing is true for every single person in this room, that we should be picking up the mantle of John the Baptist. We should be going out into the wilderness of the society today. We should be boldly proclaiming this same message, boldly preparing the way for the return of Jesus because there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will return and people need to be ready, people need to repent now, People need to get baptized. People need to understand that nobody knows the day or the hour of Christ's return. So they need to get their house in order. They need to get their life straightened up because John the Baptist's message, it was an urgent one. He was trying to get this message across to them. And we should be doing that same thing too. John had a sense of urgency in his message of Jesus' arrival. And in the same way today, we're trying to express to as many people in the city of Paducah and the surrounding areas that they need to have a sense of urgency of coming to a saving knowledge of our savior, Jesus Christ, because he's going to be coming back one day. So they need to be, uh, repenting of their ways, being renewed, baptized, get yourself ready because he's coming back. He is. He's coming back. He's going to get you. Come on y'all. I'm preaching like this is my last sermon or something. Was that too soon? Y'all getting anything out of this? In verse nine, Mark says, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Most of y'all know the version, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan 40 days. And he was out among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. So, Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, hey, one's coming who I'm not even worthy to, to, to unstrap his sandals. John's like, dude, you should be baptizing me. I shouldn't be baptizing you. And Jesus is like, man, this is what, this is what has to be done. I'm, I'm, I'm setting an example. After Jesus gets baptized, the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. What kind of Christmas gift is that? Like, I, I call this section of my sermon, Christmas in the Wilderness. Jesus gets baptized and his father is like, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Now go out there and get tempted, champ. Merry Christmas. But we know from reading scripture that that Jesus being led into the wilderness by the spirit was actually preparation for the ministry that he was getting ready to do. And I've explained to y'all in sermons past that the word tempted was the same word that, James, uh, that the, James used in the book of James to use the word tested. And with that context, we understand that testing produces perseverance. So Jesus needed some perseverance because the mission that God had for him was not going to be an easy one. Jesus' flesh was going to become weak because he, he had taken on the form of a man. Therefore, since God knew that his son had taken on the nature of humans, that moments were going to come where Jesus would be weak He would be tempted to give into his flesh. He was going to be tested to see if he was going to give up on the mission. But by God sending his son out to allow Satan to tempt him, it would actually produce the thing in him that would allow him to resist Satan. You hear what I'm saying? By sending his son into the wilderness to allow Satan to tempt him, it would actually produce the thing inside of him that he needed. Perseverance. To help him resist Satan. And we've got too many Christians in the world, I believe, today that we like to take the the easy road all the time and we like to blame Satan for for everything. Well, yeah, Satan's just out to get me today. Satan is this. Satan's that. Yes, Satan is a deceiver. Satan is the father of lies. He wants to destroy you. He wants to lie to you. He wants you to buy into some things so you don't walk in your purpose. But what if what if the wilderness you feel like you're walking through is actually just a season that God is trying to develop something in you? That if you'll allow God to develop the thing in you, it'll actually allow God's power to work through you. Good. Maybe, maybe your wilderness experience is actually a gift that God has given to you to prove to you that he's been there the whole time. Amen. We just read that. The angels were ministering to him. The the spirit of God had had never left him while he was being tempted by Satan. Maybe it's this. Maybe the thing that God wants to develop in you is the peace of God that's always been absent from you. I I don't think y'all got that. Maybe the thing that God wants to develop in you is the peace of God that's always been absent from you. You haven't experienced that peace of God that's dwelling in you because you feel like you're out there in the wilderness and in the wilderness, you're afraid, you feel alone, you feel nervous, you feel like God has left you, but God has been there the whole time. You've been labeling yourself depressed and God's been trying to tell you, hey man, you you are blessed. I've always been providing for you. You've been labeling yourself anxious and God's labeled you courageous. You've been labeling yourself broken and God's labeled you whole. You've been labeling yourself lonely when God's labeled you surrounded. And you can have moments where these things uh, get in your mind and you might feel like these things are true, but when you think it, you don't have to own it. You don't have to own it. You have to take captive the thoughts that have taken you captive. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we take captive every argument and pretense that comes up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. If you're ever going to get the clarity you need to distinguish the difference between an attack from the enemy and a gift of development from God, then you're going to have to reframe your understanding of, uh, as opportunities for God's transformative power and work in your life. That's a gift, church. That's a Christmas gift. The wilderness is not abandonment. The wilderness is a gift. The wilderness, it has, it has purpose in your life. But all of this that we've talked about so far, it, it isn't the true meaning of Christmas. It's not. In the next two verses that we read, Jesus shows us what the true message of Christmas is. He shows us that it isn't our Western theological stance and idea of what Christmas time is with, with, uh, with gifts and all these things. He shows us that the true message of Christmas is this, to repent. And believe in the good news. That's the true message of Christmas. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. Believe in the good news, Jesus says. In verse 15, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's not the pretty present wrapped under the tree that we expect every year. That's not a heartfelt Hallmark card filled with a $20 bill from grandma that we're hoping for. But I believe that it's the message that we all need to truly listen to and to hear and follow, not just listen to it and hear, repent, believe the good news. We don't just listen to it, but we actually hear it and we respond to it. You've been listening to my sermon all morning long, but that doesn't mean you're actually hearing what I'm telling you. If you're hearing this message, that would presuppose that you're actually listening to the words coming out of my mouth. Because how many of y'all know you can be listening but never actually hearing what's being said? Christ. And all the wives said amen. I've been telling my husband <laughs> that for a year. You better preach it, brother. <laughs> Jesus told the people, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And he said that back then, but I wonder how many people weren't listening, therefore never heard the call of God, and ultimately never experienced and responded to his message. Because here's what I want you to understand in this Christmas season, in this foretold series, is that Christmas doesn't ask for presents. Christmas demands a response. We all respond to Christmas in some form. We decorate our house. We sing songs. We gather with family and friends. Some of y'all just ignore it. Like, I hate Christmas. I'm a Scrooge. Like, you just do that. You hang lights in your house. We alter the the designs of our homes for months. We swap out welcome mats. Like, we do the craziest things uh, to to celebrate Christmas and, and respond to Christmas in a way. Everything around us changes around Christmas. The city of Paducah changes around Christmas. Noble Park, it changes, and they put up lights. We use it as a reason to make everything around us look better and feel better and I, I love Christmas. I love it. It makes me so, so happy. I love giving gifts. Like my love language is gift giving. Like I love to give gifts. I love coming up with gift ideas, listening to the Crowder album. That's the best Christmas album ever. Like I love the Crowder Christmas album. Listen, go listen to the elf song. It's really good. But none of that, none of it is what Jesus is asking us to do during this season. He's not asking you to set up a nativity scene. He's not asking you to go sing Christmas carols. He's not asking you to alter your house. He's demanding a response that alters your heart. That's what he wants from you. He wants you to repent and believe in his message, in his good news. Jesus wasn't going around back then and saying, hey, uh, man, Donnie, do you want to repent and believe in the good news about me? Like, no. He said, man, you need to repent. The kingdom of God is near. The king has shown up on the scene. I've came here to change lives, to tell people the good news. I've came to die for their sins. I've came so that people can have life. Amen. He boldly proclaimed it. In Matthew's account in chapter 3, John the Baptist used this same proclamation. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at, is at hand. Church, all we have is today. We are not promised a year from now. We're not promised tomorrow. We are promised though that Jesus is coming back. What we're promised is that if you put your trust in him, he will forgive you of your sins. We are promises that if you will go all in with Jesus and give your heart and your life and surrender it all at the feet of Jesus, then he will take all the good, all the bad, all the ugly, and like Pastor Mark taught us, he will incorporate it into his story so that he's glorified. And every single year, I hear this around Christmas time and and Thanksgiving every year, make sure you make the most out of this holiday season because you never know if it's going to be the last time with a certain loved one, grandma, grandpa, whoever. We say it every year. And that's great and all. But the message that we need to be spreading is the good news that Jesus is coming back. We have hope. Repent. Re-ble- believe. The kingdom of God is near. These are the messages that need to be said. If the the kingdom of God was near then, it's definitely near now. That's the true message of Christmas. Physical presents, they are great, but the gift of salvation is far better than anything else that anybody could ever give me on this earth. And if you really love your family and those that you're gathering around this Christmas, Tell them the story of why y'all are gathering. Don't make it just so you can put a smile on their face with the gift that you prepared for them. Tell them about the hope that comes with the birth of Jesus. Gather with your family. Read Luke chapter two together. That's where the Christmas story is. And if you're a Christian and you don't know where the birth story of Jesus is, like, hey, let's get that right. If somebody asks you, hey, tell me the story. You're like, okay, hey, let's go. Let's go read Luke chapter two together. And then at the end, when you read it with your family member, your family members, give them an opportunity to reflect and respond and repent. One of my favorite Christmas time stories in my life, it's a personal one, is the Christmas my, my brother my stepbrother gave his life to Christ. Um, me and my family, we go, Lord willing, we go to Florida for Christmas from January 25th all the way through January 2nd every year. And on December of 2016, we were having a Bible study around the the table at the Airbnb we were renting and we were talking about the Bible. And at the end my brother said, Hey, I think I think I need to do this repenting thing. What's that mean? I feel like I need to give my life to Christ. I feel like I'm supposed to do something with what we've been talking about. And that night on December 26th, or 2016, he gave his life to Christ. The next day we got out in the freezing ocean, we baptized him, it was great. And what a special uh, special memory that I will always have. And I love gifts. If you wanna get me one, like I love Academy, I love Amazon, like I love those things. (laughs) But better than any physical gift that could be given to me, I got to experience and watch my brother give his life to Christ. And I got to celebrate with him in freezing water, him get, getting baptized as a sign of repentance. And you can experience that same joy this Christmas if you will just share the true message of Christmas with him. Tell them how he changed your world and how he can change their world. Just as Jesus announced the good news, you guys announced the good news this Christmas. Because remember, the good news is never fully appreciated if you don't first understand the bad. Why is it good news? Back then for them, when they heard good news, everybody back then thought that they had to do things, that they had to sacrifice stuff in order to get to God. That's bad news. That's religions. Y'all ain't got to come up here and sacrifice no like lamb or goat or nothing crazy like that. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not the good news of what, Jesus, of what people must do in order to get to God. The gospel is the news of what God did to make a bridge to people. And that bridge has a name, and his name is Jesus. And when Jesus was born in that manger, a gift was given to us, a Christmas gift. He gave his Son, whom he is well pleased with. A son that came in a special way through a virgin uh, birth who lived a completely sinless life. That that son came into a sin-filled world, came to fix the problems of this world, the wrongs of this world. He did it by taking on the sin of the world on the cross, and he did it. He was beaten and broken and stabbed in the side, and his hands were pierced. He did that for you. That son brought reconciliation back to the people who were made in his own image. And with this urgent Christmas message, I hope that you realize your need of a Savior today. I pray that you recognize that God is ready to give you the best gift that you could ever have. And it's called a new life. According to Revelation 21 5, God's in the business of making all things new. And that's including you. Yes, we're, we're, celebrating, we're celebrating the birth of the Son of God. I get that. And we need to honor the life and ministry of Jesus. I get that. But we also need to honor the ultimate sacrifice that He became for us. And the way that you honor the gift giver is to accept that gift. And then, when you accept that gift, you use it, you share it, you don't keep it to yourself. We do that with Christmas gifts. The Christmas gift is for us, and we just keep it to ourselves, and nobody else can use it. Don't touch it. But with the gospel, When we're giving the gift of salvation, we now have a responsibility, according to Matthew 28, to go out and make disciples, tell them the good news, teach them to obey all that God has commanded us, and God promises that he will be with us until the very end of the age. I'm telling you, go where God says go. Do what God says do. Love who God tells you to love. Submit your life to his plan and his purpose and his design, and you will never, ever, ever go wrong. I know we didn't go into verses 16 and the rest of the chapter, but right after verse 15, Jesus goes out and he goes out to where the men are fishing and he calls them to be his disciples. He calls them by name and says, hey, you guys need to come and follow me. Drop what you're doing, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's what he did. Jesus said in John 10, 27, that his sheep know his voice and they follow him. You have to listen for your shepherd's voice. You have to hear your shepherd's voice and follow your shepherd's voice. And it starts when he calls you to salvation. Are you willing to leave your old life behind like those disciples and follow Jesus today? And it's been such an honor serving this church. But if I'm going to live out the message that I just told you to live out, to go where God says go, to do what God says do and love who God calls you to love, then I have to step out in faith and go where God says go. And do what God says do. And share the good news about Jesus Christ with whoever he puts in front of me. Because the most important person in the world is the one that's right in front of you. And when God gives you that opportunity, share the gospel with them. Share the good news.